We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar, a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, welcome to the program. Glad you've joined us again today. My special guest in the studio is Dr. Barry Harker, and this is the third program we are doing just to talk about the current environment we find ourselves in, political, social, and some of the unrest that we see around the world at the moment. This program is called Future Prospects. Now, leading up to this, we've looked at the uh, ongoing rise of illiberal democracy. We've spoken about the deepening divisions in the U.S. and the call for unity, and we're seeing that around the world. We see these idealisms from the French Revolution and the U.S. Revolution actually clashing and pushing against each other. And we also see an intensification, uh, obviously, of uh, wars amongst people, cultural wars, cultural nationalism, and also Christian heritage. Now, uh, do we have examples in countries at the moment where we can look to see how this is working out, how this is playing out at the moment. Yes, I'd like to just have a look at um, the issue that have taken place in Poland just mm. over 2017-2018 and look at how cultural nationalism and Christian heritage are working together and where it's going, but it's obviously going in a direction that is not particularly uh, good or sensitive for religious minorities. Right. In Poland, so we'll do a case study. Okay, that'll be great. And then we can have a look at uh, the Gilets Jaunes, the the Yellow Vest movement in France, and mm. what's the significance of all this unrest that we're seeing in France. And we'll look at the issues that the Gilets Jaunes have, and we can see how this is feeding into this whole thing about the two different models okay. of how the how, how the world should operate. Is it going to be equality above liberty or liberty above equality? And we're going to look at the beefs that the the Yellow Vest movement has against the French government, and we will look at the implications for the rise of a new French right, like an alternative movement in France, Mm. because it's also tied very closely to Christian nationalism and cultural nationalism. Wow. And so we'll bring some of this together right up to date just to the last couple of weeks. In fact, the Gilets Jaunes are still... still, Still current. Still current, (laughs) That's right. In in France. Okay, now that will be a very interesting discussion to have. So let's start with the idea that it's not an easy time for democracies. And let's have a look at, for example, the situation in Poland. Now, the case study revolves around Sunday shopping. On November 24, 2017, the Polish lower house passed a bill to gradually phase out most Sunday shopping by 2020. Hmm. The bill took effect on Sunday, March 11, 2018, limiting Sunday shopping to the first and last Sundays of the month during the remainder of 2018. But here's the rub. Non-compliance can not only lead to hefty fines, it can even lead to imprisonment. Wow. That's pretty serious. And as far as the, say, the, the population in Poland is concerned, are they all in support of this? Is that a... Well, No. 
the majority are actually wanting to keep the shops open. But the controversial legislation is backed by Poland's Catholic bishops and the influential Solidarity Trade Union. Uh Archbishop Stanislaw Gadecki, who supported the ban during the initial public controversy over the proposal, told Polish Radio, and I'm quoting, Free Sundays are what all Catholics, non-Catholics and non-believers need. They're not necessarily wanted, but according to him, they need it. Yeah, they need it. So here you have an issue about a secular Sunday, a secular day of rest, Mm. compared with a religious day of rest. So while the two are mixed up, the Catholic bishops are in no doubt that everyone needs the Sunday, the free Sunday. Mm. So what would be uh, influencing that kind of move there? I I know that that the Pope, uh, three years or so now, wrote the Laudato Si, which actually deals with this this issue of of Sunday and how Sunday is a solution to the challenges we have with climate change, for example. Is that a part of the whole Worldview that's uh, pushing this kind of uh, an approach? Well, it is. If, if, when we come to the new French right, for example, um, one of their major commitments is to Laudato Si, the Pope's encyclical on mm. the environment and also the economy. So this is all interconnected. As the Pope said, everything's connected. Yes. So he has an interconnectedness thesis, but at the very heart of that interconnectedness thesis is the concept of Sunday. He says that Sunday joins heaven and earth. It uh, joins rich and poor, north and south, east and west. Um, And so he's really saying that Sunday is a touchstone for all of these major issues that are confronting the world. Mm. So So even the social issues like families, families get a time together, they're not... Parents aren't away working; they can spend a whole day together. All those, all those factors. Uh, he's, he's selling Sunday as a positive um, impact on all the the woes that society is facing he at is. the moment. He is indeed. Well, society does need a day of rest. Hmm. Um, there are there is a case for workers' rights. Yes, there is a case for family time. There is a case for giving people time for recreation. Mm, and shutting and, down the factories. And renewal, shutting down the factories. <laughs> yeah. You could probably yeah. also say there's a case for the environment. Mm. You know, just if you shut the, shut the world down for a day a week, that takes the pressure off the environment. Mm. So there are lots of pressures. But when the, when the bishops actually say free Sundays are what all Catholics, non-Catholics and non-believers need, it transcends not just the secular, but also the transcends the religious. religious. Yes, I and, of course, that. that brings up the question of individual minority rights. Mm. And so um, if you look at uh, Cardinal Gadecki, he's really pushing a line that um, says that everyone needs this, but when a bishop says it, he's really saying it's got a religious dimension as well. Sure. In fact, that's how the Christian Broadcasting Network saw it. Uh, This is from Christian Broadcasting Network News. Returning to the Bible, Poland reclaims Sunday as a day of rest. This is from the 28th of November 2017. And I'm quoting, they say, In the Old Testament, the Bible teaches that Sunday is a day of rest since God rested on the seventh day after creating the world. Hmm. Sunday, the first day of the week, became the Catholic seventh day and a day of resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on Sunday. So the Christian Broadcasting Network doesn't see it in secular terms. It sees it in quite explicit religious, uh, religious terms. terms yeah. Yes. So while it's appealing to the universal need for rest in support of a total ban on Sunday shopping, the bishops can't mask the fact that it's got a religious dimension to it. Mm. And this is what I'm saying, that when you start to play with the protections for minorities or act unconstitutionally, or try to link church and state, 
even with ostensibly good reasons, mm. then you're eventually going to come to the point of transgressing someone's human rights and religious, religious rights. Religious rights, yeah. Wow. So you mentioned Christian heritage, and we, we're obviously going to talk about that further as we go through this. But they're arguing Christian heritage, which a Sunday is a part of, and espousing at the moment the social benefits of that. Yes. But as the as the um, bishops have actually got involved in the discussion and presented that, they've clearly den- connected it not just from a social perspective and a civil perspective, but definitely back to the regi- religious historical Roots of Sunday observation, That's right. especially in Europe. Yeah, so Poland's traditionally Catholic country, hmm. and so you, when you have a revival of Christian heritage, it's going to be Catholic heritage, right? Basically, in that in that culture. So it's just a reminder that um, arguments for Christian heritage and cultural nationalism may include social benefits, hmm. but you have to be extremely cautious with that argument because you may find yourself. Um, acting unconstitutionally or denying constitutional protections to minorities. And basically that's what history tells us, that minority religions always suffer. Mm. And so the, the genius of liberal democracy is that it addressed that issue, gave everyone access to protection for their, for their beliefs. Okay. And, and, and we know that works because people are trying to get into the liberal democracies, not out of them. That is and true. Why, and yeah. why are they trying to get into them? Because that's what they want. Mm. And there's, kind of, there's a level of prosperity under those freedoms, civil and religious freedoms, bring a, a level of prosperity you don't see in other idealistic uh, uh, organizations when it comes to, even if you look at um, communism. Yes. I mean, the, uh, the pursuit there of happiness, the pursuit of excellence is uh, taken away quite considerably because everybody's on a level playing field. And whether you work hard or whether you don't work, everybody gets the same. That's right. If you shackle the mind... Mm. You're not going to get human flourishing. That's right. So you can't shackle people's minds. Mm. You have to give them freedom, and that's when the culture really flourishes. So we've looked at uh, we've looked at Poland, and we can see there that um, Christian heritage and cultural nationalism can easily move from a secular social benefit to a so-called religious one, which takes us back past the time of constitutional protection for religious minorities. And that's not a pretty place. Mm. Yes, as we look at history, obviously there's an ugly picture that we see, but many people have lost sight of history. And uh, as as we said in the previous program, if we forget our history, we're destined to repeat the mistakes of the past. And our constitutions in the West in particular have protected us against those evils of the past and those persecutions of the past and also the violation of rights of all people, uh, in particular the minorities. Now, in our first two programs, we actually just looked at the broad principles, but there's a case study of what we're saying, Hmm. that as as the democracy breaks down or goes under stress, immediately the rights of minorities are going to be questioned or challenged. And so this is this is a classic case study where that where that can go. Okay. okay, so let's go now to the Gillette Jeans. Now, the genius of this movement, of course, is that everyone in France is required to have a yellow vest in the car. So if you break down on the freeway, you've got to take out your yellow vest and put it on. Mm. So if you're creating a revolutionary movement that you want to be highly visible and easily accessible then you would use a yellow vest, wouldn't you? It would, and that's what they've been <laughs> so, doing. <laughs> so, this is, so this is what we're seeing. We're actually seeing the, um, the, uh, the Gillette Jean movement, and it's 
actually a reaction. And this is what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the fact that if you push hard enough against people, that you will get a reaction. Hmm. And with the Gillette Jaunes, there are a number of beefs that they have. Now, this is a movement that was seemingly leaderless when it started. It was sparked by the rise in fuel prices, usually in uh, regional areas, country areas of Mm. France, where they didn't have access to public transport and they required, you know, their vehicles, their diesel vehicles even, to travel and for employment purposes. And so this was the thing that really sparked it because Emmanuel Macron took off, uh, put taxation on, extra taxation on petrol and diesel and, of course, that impacted on the cost of living for people in the in the regional areas in particular. Mm. They weren't so concerned that about the environmental implications. They, in other words, they were not anti-environment in relationship to this. They just felt that they wanted equivalent contributions across the society. They didn't want to be the only ones who were bearing the burden right. of this. And so they're quite happy to have climate change mitigated in their minds, but they just wanted equivalent com- um, equivalent contributions across the society. They were also upset about the fact that when Emmanuel Macron came to power in 2017, he re- he um, he took taxation off the rich with the idea of creating uh, economic opportunity and uh, opportunities for employment in France. So he wanted to kickstart the economy. Mm. So. He wanted to take the taxation off the rich, which he did. And, of course, the Gillette Jaunes got really upset about this because um, they felt that the taxation should be restored. And if people were going to be paying for mitigation of climate change, the rich should be paying their fair share of this. So that was another beef that they had. Um, They also felt that Macron was talking down to them, that he was elitist. And there were a couple of examples where that happened in public. And, uh, by the way, this whole movement spanned the left and the right. Now, this is highly significant because we've been talking about the fact that if you've got a a division, a wide division in society, sooner or later you're going to have to start attending to that division because it can destroy your culture and your economy. Hmm. And so you have to look for some source of unity that transcends the politics. And I believe that if you're going to do that, in traditional um, traditional Christian countries, and you're going to attend to cultural nationalism, eventually you will have to go back to those ideas, those religious ideas that were held in common that can act as a unifying point across the left and the right. So what you find with the Gillette Jaunes in France is that the 75% support for this movement, that's massive. 75%? 75% support, wow. and that's spanning the political left and the political right. Think mm. of that. Suddenly you have a movement that's got so much power that it can actually get the government to take the taxation off the petrol and to make other concessions in an effort to try to stop the, stop the demonstrations. And it's bringing the left and but the right But it's still happening. This has been going on for two months. Right. But it's bringing the left and the right together mm. in a common cause. In sympathy. So think of the implications if the Gillette Jaunes took this cultural clout that they have, this political economic clout that they have at the moment, and said, okay, we want to, we want to go back. We want to go back to our culture. We want to go back to our Christian nationalism. What would happen then? Mm. 
well, the government would be in an extremely difficult position. As we've seen in, in Poland, very quickly, even though the majority weren't in favour in Poland, the Polish government pressed ahead with the support of the, with the, support of the bishops. Yes. Wow. So this is not an insignificant movement that's taking place. Now, this brings us to the whole question of a new development. And this is only just the last several weeks that I've really come, uh, I've been getting across this, this topic. The French right, if you're in, if you're in the centre of French politics and you move right, the first people you come across is the traditional Republicans. Now, it's interesting that in France, uh, they have a traditional conception, particularly in the last 100 years, and there's a, there's a term for it, laicity, laicity, which is like a separation of church and state. Mm. And if you're a politician, you don't talk about your religion in public. But in the last French elections, presidential elections, Francois Fillon was the leading candidate. He's a Republican. And he basically lost out because he had been giving his wife money for non-existent work. So that scandal really took him out. But he, mm. was, the, he was the front runner in the French elections. Okay. The other two were Marine Le Pen and also Emmanuel Macron. Mm. Well, Macron finally won out because people weren't prepared to go quite as right as, uh, as Marine Le Pen. So as you're looking right, we go to the Republicans. Now, what Macron did was talk about his Catholicism, his own personal religion, and that, wow. and that was a bit of a breakthrough. That, mm. was, that was a throwback to the past. Mm. And so he was, uh, he was getting a lot of support. And remember at the time, prior to 2017, you had um, the immigration issues in Europe, particularly acute in France, as people are trying to cross the, the channel. Yes. And you also had um, the issues of the, um, the terrorist atrocities that were taking place at the time. So people are saying, okay, we've got to do something about this immigrant culture and this immigrant religion, mm. and that means we have to appeal back to our cultural nationalism and we have to appeal to our Christian heritage. And so he was the perfect candidate at the time. Now, Marine Le Pen lost out to Emmanuel Macron, and she's on the far right. But there's a gap in the middle between the traditional Republicans, who are sort of sort of right of centre, mm. but not dramatically right of centre, okay. and Marine Le Pen, who is you know, right at the extreme end of that spectrum, anti-immigrant and so forth. So in the middle, you have now an evolving right-wing popular front. Now, to give it... Um, a broader international focus, you have to look at um, Steve Bannon. Now, Steve Bannon was the chief White House strategist when Donald Trump be first became president. That's right, yeah. Uh, Donald Trump pushed him out of the White House, but they're still obviously friends. Hmm. But what that did for, for Europe was very interesting. Instead of having him tied up in, 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 in the United States... He went to Europe and he starts what he calls the movement. Hmm. So he's linking together, he's linking the right-wing parties in Europe, and we're particularly talking France, Italy, Hungary, Poland, Germany. And they're being resourced, they're being networked, and when you look at their goals, it's basically cultural nationalism and Christian heritage. Wow. That's underpinning this movement. So we're not just talking now about France. We're also talking about pan-Europe. Yes. And that, that becomes um, fairly significant. 
So would Steve Bannon be working with Macron or would he be working with Le Pen as far as uh, his approach in, say, Le Pen? Le Pen. Le Pen. Okay, so stream. Yeah. Stream right. Across the right, yeah. Mm. So, and this, this new movement that's starting is somewhere in the middle. So it's ostensibly centre-right. Now, my, the first um, time I heard about it, I was reading an article by Mark Lilla called Two Roads for the New French Right. This came out of the New York Review of Books. This is really pretty current. It's only December 20, 2018. And he said it's a movement closely connected to the Catholic right in France and founded on the cultural, religious foundations of Europe. Think of it. When we've talked cultural nationalism and Christian heritage, he's talking about the same thing, only the term it cultural, religious foundations of Europe. Mm-hmm. By the way, Pope Francis talks about these, uh, these foundations as well. And he says this movement is poised to create a new conservative movement in France. It's emerging. Uh, and I'm, I'm quoting now. This is Mark Lilla's article. He says, Something new is happening on the European right. Ideas are being developed and transnational networks for disseminating them are being established. Journalists have treated as a mere vanity project Steve Bannon's efforts to bring European populist parties and thinkers together under the banner of what he calls the movement, but his instincts, as in American politics, are in tune with the times. So let's have a look at um, what this movement is about. It's championed in France by young writers who share two convictions. The first is a robust conservatism, and the second is a commitment to environmentalism. And I'm quoting, they all seem inspired by Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si, mm. a comprehensive statement of Catholic social teaching on the environment and economic justice. So this new movement is really appealing to cultural nationalism and Christian heritage in Europe. Mm. But it's not just a European, it's not just a French movement, it's a pan-European movement. Right. It might be kicking off more significantly here. Lilla said, look, there's only two roads that this movement can take. The first one is a moderating force in the European democracies that are currently under stress. Okay. So it can either be a moderating one, but he said the, the second road that it can take is an aggressive form of conservatism that one also sees in France that would serve instead as a powerful tool for building a pan-European reactionary Christian nationalism. Pan-European across Europe. Reactionary, right-wing. Christian nationalism, then it would be the Christian heritage of Europe coming back strongly across Europe. Well, look at that as a movement and see, well, where, where is that potentially going to go in terms of religious liberty? The last, yeah. time, the last time we had a powerful pan-European reaction with Christian nationalism, um, things were pretty rocky in Europe. Mm. So, okay, there's two roads. There's obviously this one, which will be a strong reaction to the left. Yes. And the other one is one that's more moderate that brings people together and then just uh, helps dis, um, disperse some of this angst and some of this conflict and, and um, stress between these two yes. ideologies. Yes. But if we look at the Bible, it sounds like there will be a strong reaction to what's happening from the left and that push there. And ultimately we'll see a, a, a strong response from, from these people if the uh, the movement under Steve Bannon and bringing these people together um, – keeps on growing and, and has its effect. We started this series of three discussions looking at Revelation 13 and 14 where you have a worldwide religious liberty crisis related to worship. 
So if you're going to have that take place, what would be the preconditions for a global religious crisis involving the United States or maybe originating in the United States? Three things. Hmm. You'd have to have catastrophic divisions in the United States and Europe. Are we seeing catastrophic divisions in those two areas? We've seen significant Absolutely. divisions, yeah. Then you have to have a point of unity that transcends culture. Hmm. It has to transcend the, all these cultural identity equality issues, but which draws on Christian heritage. So it has to have the capacity to transcend the culture, but also be part of it or emerge out of the culture. And the third point is that the point of unity has got to offer solutions to the concerns of both left and right. Interestingly, when we see the left and the right getting together in the Gilets Jaunes movement in France, we're seeing exactly that. Mm. So the preconditions for a global religious crisis are already with us. That is, catastrophic divisions in the US and Europe, need for a point of unity that trans culture but which emerges out of it. Yes. This is what we saw in Poland. And the point of unity must offer solutions to the concerns of right and left. This is the Gilet Jaunes in France. So we are seeing the most dangerous conditions for religious liberty that the world has seen in many decades. Mm. That is uh, fascinating how you've, you've drawn on, obviously, our worldview, which is um, modeled by Scripture and especially prophecy. And as we now look at what's happening in politics, which is happening in society, the push between the left and the right, between those ideologies that came through the French Revolution that came through the, uh, the U.S. Revolution, how these clashing movements coming against each other now is actually bringing some sort of level of synergy, um, as we can see in, in France at the moment. And, of course, we have uh, Steve Bannon now moving around in Europe trying to see if he can uh, bring these people together to, uh, to push against what's happening in the left. Now, hopefully it has a moderating influence. But ultimately, we believe it will go beyond that and will actually be a strong backlash and a push against what's happened uh, in the left. So if you take a, a biblical view mm. that there is going to be a crisis in the future, our future prospects don't look very good based on what's actually happening in the present. And, of course, these things have intensified over 2018. And I imagine that by um, 2000, the end of 2019, they're going to have either resolved or intensified tremendously more than they have in 2018. Mm. So a very significant time. It's time for us all to understand biblical prophecy and it's time for us all to understand um, our need for God because God is the only source of support if we were to go through times in which these events were to take place that have been prophesied. So it's Sunday in America, tells us, the basic, um, the outlines of where it's going for the future, where the movements are taking us, what God is like, says only God is able to take you safely through those times that lie in the future. Mm. Thank you very much, Dr. Barry Harker, for coming and sharing your research and your material from your books with us. Uh, dear listener, you can have access to these books by getting in touch with us or going online to 3abinaustralia.org.au. We'll share the contact details with you. And then also you can have these books. They are available online. They are available on Kindle as well. And the first book is called It's Sunday in America. And it's a timely warning about the emerging threats to religious liberty in the world's greatest democracy. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God bless.
you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.